Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have stepped in to resolve the crisis between us and you in your grace and mercy to us. And so we pray that our hearts might hear this news that we read in Romans and rejoice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in the Romans reading, so you might like to have that open as we look at it. Although we're going to start with the Isaiah reading as well. This is a sermon about... God's solution to the crisis between him and us. And we start with the crisis. The Bible speaks often and strongly about a crisis between God and us. In the Old Testament, this is often more narrowly focused on the relationship between God and the nation of Israel. And so in Isaiah 5, 1 and 2, we have this song, the song of the vineyard. Isaiah says, I will sing for the one I love A song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Uh, Isaiah is the singer. God is the one who Isaiah loves, the vineyard owner. And the vines and the vineyard are the people of Judah and Israel. We read in verse 7, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. God spares no effort to give Israel the opportunity to flourish and to be fruitful. Verse 4, what more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? Everything is in place. There's good soil, a fertile hillside, it's been dug and cleared and planted and ready. But nothing of what is hoped for comes. Verse 3, then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. And God asks, when I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? And verse 7 leaves the imagery behind the images of grapes and says boldly, he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Because this song is not about grapes, which just kind of grow according to conditions. What's the soil like? What's the sun? What's the rainfall? Okay, off we go. No, this song is about people. About people who have gone wrong despite good conditions. People who should have done better. And so God calls for a reckoning. Verse 3, now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. And here is the crisis, for God resolves to undo all that he has done for Israel. Verse 5, now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. God's going to remove his protection the hand that allows Israel the space to live in freedom as they do, and the vines will then be exposed to the beasts of the field who will come and trample and destroy. There's the crisis. Now, in Romans 1-3, to Paul has been, in his own way, re-describing a crisis between God and human beings. That God has looked for justice and for righteousness and has found, you know, disappointment not just from Israel, but from human beings 
generally all the nations. Despite all the advantages that Israel has received, having the word of God, his promises and laws, his covenant with them, the temple, the priesthood, the land, the kingdom, despite all this, in the end, they've proved to have no advantage over everybody else. Verse 9, what shall we conclude then? Do we, do we Jews, said Paul, have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike, whatever nation you're from, all are under the power of sin. And to drive this home uh, to his fellow Jews who might be still unwilling to see themselves as under sin like the Gentiles, like the nations, Paul strings a whole series of uncompromising scriptures together. So verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open, graves, etc., etc. Now, he then says to his Jewish compatriots, don't think that these scriptures are just talking about the nations out there. No, he says, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, i.e. us Jews, saying this to us and about us, so that the whole world, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. These scriptures are not only about the Gentiles. These scriptures are about us too. Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. And not only that, but more than that, the law of God and the works that that law calls us to do are not the answer to this crisis. Verse 20, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So here we are, backed into a very awkward and uncomfortable corner. We are told that we are under the power of sin, with all the unpleasantness that that means, the the guilt, the alienation from God, the liability to judgment that goes with that. And more than that, we're told that our works, those things we might do, to try to answer the call and the demand of God's law, those works will not make it right. We can't deal with sin by cultivating virtue or by religious observance or by being good and kind. Now, Paul doesn't back us into this corner in order to make us suffer or exploit our guilt. He does it so we will understand the truth truth about ourselves, but more importantly, the truth about how this crisis between us and God is really to be resolved. And so now we come to the second half of the sermon. The first half has been about the crisis between God and us due to the bad fruit that we yield. But now we come to the resolution of that crisis, in particular God's resolution of that crisis, which is to redeem us from sin through Jesus Christ. So we hit verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. And at this point, Paul is about to present an entirely different way to think about righteousness then I am already righteous, or I can be righteous if I only you know, do this or that. 
This is a whole different way to think about it. It's apart from the law. That is, it's not based on morality. It's not based on religious observance. Lots of people think that the deal is be good, do the Christian thing, and you'll go to heaven. But that is not the deal. The deal is this righteousness, verse 22, this righteousness that is from God and of God is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. We become right with God. We get out of under the power of sin because God sets us right with himself as a gift. We are justified, says Paul. That is, we are set right with God. We are declared to have no charge to answer. We are justified freely by his grace. That is, as a gift, without earning it, without deserving it. This gift did not cost nothing, but God bore the cost and he doesn't send us the bill. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, in the ancient world, a redemption was a price paid to set someone free. Maybe they were a slave and it was their manumission. They were in bondage and you set them free by paying a redemption price. Or maybe they were captive in war or maybe they owed a debt. But whatever it was, you could pay a redemption and they could go free. The redemption that came by Christ Jesus sets us free from bondage to sin, from guilt for sin, for liability to God's judgment from our alienation from God. This redemption was achieved through the death of Christ on the cross. Paul speaks about Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Now, atonement achieves at one It achieves the restoration of fellowship. It achieves peace between parties that are maybe formally estranged. A sacrifice of atonement is a gift that recognises guilt and liability, that seeks to turn aside anger and displeasure, that covers over and washes away sin, that restores fellowship and peace. In this, the one true sacrifice for sin, the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, God provides the sacrifice. God presented Christ. But more than that, God is the sacrifice. That Christ is God the Son, himself experiencing what he did on the cross. And God received the sacrifice. God, this was all offered to God. Now we all know that if you're going to forgive someone, if they've done something to hurt you and wrong you, and you're going to forgive them, there's some work to do there, some internal work. You have to let go of the anger you might feel. You have to bear the pain of the offence that's been committed against you and you have to 
do all that in such a way that you are ready to forgive. You need to kind of absorb it. Well, in the cross of Christ, we see that God has done this work. He has paid the price. He has made the sacrifice. He has set aside his anger. He has renounced his claim to give us what we deserve. He did this, as we read at the end, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God doesn't demand grovelling or reparations that we might kind of make it up to him. He resolves the crisis of our guilt by freely and graciously providing the means to set us right, to restore us to peace with him, to free us from all shame and all punishment. Let me make some reflections on this. Firstly, guilt is still our problem in the modern world and we still in our lives seek ways to be justified, to be right. There's plenty that we are induced to feel guilty about and perhaps ought to feel some measure of guilt about. Eating badly, systemic racism, your carbon footprint, not having enough diversity in our organisations, not calling your mother often enough, not giving your kids every opportunity. There is a world of ways in which we are called to be something and we know <laughs> we're not. We're not the just and the righteous. We fail, we fall short, we know it. Secondly, our modern options for being made righteous, for being set right, have their problems. Because what are our options if we want to deal with this sense of we fall short of who we should be and could be. Well, we can try to justify ourselves. And there's a couple of ways we might do this. Firstly, we might refuse to think of ourselves as guilty or as lacking in any way. We might uh, attempt unconditional self-affirmation and self-acceptance. So I was in the body shop this week buying a present for my daughter And the mirror in the body shop, you know, where you test out the stuff, has printed on it, you are enough. The kind of self-affirmation that says, don't think of yourself as lacking in any way. Accept that you are fine as you are. Don't be guilty. Don't beat down on yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Because, you know, to go more positively, you deserve it. Dance like there's no one watching. You know, everything's fine with you. You've just got to accept yourself. That's one way to justify yourself, to say, I'm all right. Don't let anything niggle you. There's another way to justify yourself, and that is by performing to perfection. This is, I'm going to get great marks. I'm going to have shiny hair. I'm going to earn big money. I'm going to complete my Ironman triathlon. My children will be perfect. I will be polished. I will be accomplished. I will be virtuous. I will leave nothing to be desired. And so I will meet my standards. I'm not going to lower my standards to just I am enough. I'm going to be great. I'm going to hit my goals. And that way I will be right. That's how I'll make peace with myself. There's yet another way the modern world might offer us to be justified. We might seek justification 
from some virtuous tribe that we join. You know, a bunch of people saying, we are making things right. We're living in a way that is virtuous, that accrues some kind of merits. And you can, you can join us. You can be part of the good guys. You know, we're putting off sin, whatever sin might be, according to the tribe. Maybe it's bad habits, bad food, unconscious biases, unsustainable living. Maybe it's white privilege. Maybe it's Western self-loathing. It could be all kinds of things that the tribe is against and all kinds of things the tribe is for, putting on righteousness, you know, taking your pride in your history and culture, installing your solar panels, getting your electric vehicle, eating your sugar-free raw food, whatever it is that is going to make you one of the good guys, you can do. Now, of course, not all our choices in all these things are driven by guilt and the need to self-justify. But... Guilt and the desire to be justified is a real and active factor in all of us, in the choices we make, the things we want, the ways we live our lives. Let me say thirdly and lastly that no one else can or will do what God does for you through Jesus. For God doesn't lie to you. He doesn't say, you're perfect You deserve it. Although he does say, you are loved. You are valued. You are known. God doesn't drive you to perform with discipline and determination so you can be worthy. He doesn't say, dig deep, maximise, optimise, overcome. God doesn't give you a recipe to cook up your own righteousness for yourself. He doesn't say, fight these enemies, hold these views, wear this T-shirt, push this cause, and you'll be on the good guy's team. God redeems you through Jesus Christ. He says you were in the grip of sin. You were guilty and facing trouble. But look, I have a gift for you. Redemption. Through Jesus Christ. It's not self-redemption, but it's me setting you right. Atoning for your sin. Washing away your guilt. So be at peace. This is the gift we receive when we trust in Christ. When we believe this news. Let's pray. Father, when we're confronted by your word and put in an awkward corner and told that we are not all we should be, we pray, Lord, that you'd uh, help us to weigh that and to know its truth, but not to lose hope or despair, not to turn to self-justification, but to seek, Lord, the gift of that you have given us in Jesus, that you have stepped in to resolve this crisis between us and you through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So, Lord, give us an understanding of that. Give us faith in it 
and give us joy in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.